I often find there are magnets that actually pull people in different directions. And it's those directions which I like to invest in. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show is a code-cracking affair. We're going to dig into something that I've been teaching for quite a while, the pyramid of livability. Yes, livability has a pyramid. In fact, I once guest lectured at the University of Sydney on this very topic, the idea that magnets draw people to certain ways of living. Behaviorally, we're getting nudged in certain directions. And I want to talk about those nudges. So potentially, you can make some money out of the real estate economy as it evolves, as it changes, as we continue to unfold in this ever-changing real estate world. What is next for the real estate marketplace, the livability index And the pyramid of livability has a lot to do with how to create wealth from real estate. Now, I'll tell you what, if it's the first time you're tuning in, welcome aboard to the Urban Property Investor. It is the show where we crack real estate codes. I find a little tip, play the episode in 1.5 to 2 speed, get your life back, and perhaps even duck off to my business partner's Uh, podcast. It's called The Wealth Faculty. It's full of great tips and information about getting ahead and mastering this idea of wealth as well. But if you like property and you're a bit of a hardcore property nut, this is the show that you need to tune into. So thank you for listening. Let's kick it off. Let's talk about the idea that we are being transformed and Society is full of the idea of behavioral economics. There's kind of like two types of economics. There's traditional economics, which is really about, you know, supply and demand and income ratios and cash rates and uh, recessions and all this kind of thing. And then there's the second type of economics, which we often refer to as behavioral economics. What influences are pushing people in a certain direction. Now, I've always found over the years that real estate is as much influenced by broad-based economics, i.e. rental returns, supply and demand uh, economics, as it is to behavioral economics. In other words, what people actually want. And it's this idea of a reshaping society as to what I want to talk about today. I often find there are magnets that actually pull people in different directions. And it's those directions which I like to invest in. In other words, today there are some big magnets which are pulling people uh, in all sorts of directions. And we call this behavioral economics. Now, when you think about what is unfolding, we've got more people potentially working from home. We are on our way to a much bigger society in our cities. So traffic is going to get worse. And we are just seeing little bits of society tear away from the centre. 
whereby certain people are just not keeping up with the rat race. And of course, this, from a behavioural point of view, is transforming how many people choose to live, work and play. The idea of the pyramid of livability is that if we can focus on a suburb or marketplace which has a lot going for it from a magnet point of view, in other words, it's going to draw people to it, then naturally we run into an issue where more people want to live there than there are properties and of course property then tends to go up in value. I always teach this, and I know you guys have heard this before, that today if we want to control wealth, we want to control real estate, we want to buy real estate in an area where people can both live, work, and play, and there is a sense of mobility, which is easy, a network of wellness, which attracts even more money, and the idea that knowledge is centered around the skilled economy of workers. The pyramid of livability is really focusing on the behavioral economic economy I teach and has a lot to do with movement. The idea that people are being nudged in different directions of movement. And it's that movement which I think is quite interesting because if we can buy real estate in a neighborhood where people enjoy walking, cycling, enjoy uh, not having to go to a major place to go to work, then really society is being nudged to see that as highly valuable. Think about coronavirus. It's come along and there's this new sort of work from home movement. Um, obviously, people are drifting back to work and some 86% of workers that traditionally work in the office market will continue to go to offices. But then there's sort of 14%, which is uh, now going to fundamentally live locally. And that is a big shift from past eras. And of course, well, where are those people going to live? What is of value to those people and this is where we're starting to see magnets unfold in the real estate community. I believe we are being nudged into three distinct groups. And really, the three distinct groups are where the wealth is going to be created out of real estate. There is a fourth group, which I'll talk to you about. But the three groups where we are being nudged to see value and we're being kind of uh, reprogrammed to go, you know what, this is where the money is to be made in real estate is in three groups, urbanites, leaf changes, and sea changes. These are absolutely where, without question, those that have the ability to, to buy real estate and pay a lot for it are being, uh, being sent. Now, there's some recent news articles about, for example, uh, Sydney's uh, rental market, which areas are booming. And it's so interesting because it really does link to the behavioral economy of what I'm talking about, that the pyramid of livability at the moment is being transformed. So the rents are skyrocketing in certain areas. In Sydney, the Northern Beaches are, is going through an absolute rental boom at the moment. And a lot of that is to do with sea change. People are now going, well, I, 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 I see value 
in a lifestyle choice. And it's the three lifestyle choices that really we can buy from real estate, which is going to continue to become more and more valuable. And in some respects, there are only so many great suburbs close to the city. There are only so many great uh, urban or suburban areas close to leafy uh, tree change. And there are only so many major city areas built on the coast. And again, these are the nudges which are reshaping society. So, of course, some people are leaving bigger cities to buy that sea change on the coastland of um, our great Australian coastline. And many people are also drifting to more regional communities to get that leafy tree change feel. And of course, that pyramid of livability is skyrocketing in value too. I, of course, am a big believer in the idea that if you can buy sea change, urban change or tree change and do it in a, CB, in a city, like a major economic area, you're going to experience less volatility into the future, but you're going to reap the benefits of the nudge which is unfolding. The nudge, of course, is that people now want lifestyle as part of their real estate decisions. And you think about all of the, the suburbs that maybe make up a city. Sydney has something like 323 suburbs. Just how many of them are perfect for urbanites, sea changes, or leaf or tree changes? Not many, right? So those suburbs will continue to become more valuable because we're being nudged in this direction to see value in that activity. Again, sim no dissimilar in Adelaide or uh, Brisbane or Melbourne. Again, the suburbs which hold this sort of quality, natural amenity is now going to be considered highly, highly prized when it comes to the idea of uh, nudging people into this pyramid of livability. Now, of course, coronavirus is creating lessons where probably people are seeing this more than ever before. I've been teaching this for a while. And as we know, we now live in a world of contagion. We have been through all sorts of viruses since really uh, AIDS broke out in the 1990s. And understanding this, that we've been through SARS, we've been through Ebola, swine flu, we've been through all sorts of uh, transformation when it comes to the idea that society is now fundamentally vulnerable. For me, uh, the pyramid of livability is something that I came up with several years ago. And I was teaching it with a great town planner friend of mine, um, uh, Melissa Neighbour, and the idea that all of a sudden uh, society is fundamentally functioning less and it's that dysfunction that we bet against, not going with the dysfunction. And of course, many property investors are flowing with the dysfunction that they're going out to marketplaces which have no behavioural economic logic. They may have broad economic logic. In other words, they're cheap and cheerful or they're affordable and the rents are good. But they are disconnected from this idea that we're going to continue to deal with green swan events, black swan events. And of course, 
all that is going to do is make uh, areas inside the pyramid of livability very, very, very important. So I guess when it comes to future future demand, um, we know that, for example, nature is something people will pay more for. So for property investors, obviously, buying close to natural amenities is not a bad little tip. And it's not something that is fundamentally new. It's almost like a rebirth of what has always been popular. And again, if we can just be close to uh, the walking tracks of the lakes or we can be close to um, the bushland and natural urban forests in our city, we're going to end up in a place where people want to live, work and play in that society. And of course, that is going to influence the value proposition of real estate. Now, I'm a big believer that we are being nudged in certain different directions. And I want to talk to you about some of the trends and why these trends are so important for us as property investors to comprehend. I think really the first nudge which we do need to recognise is a dwelling nudge. People are being nudged into very sleek, minimalist properties. And of course, space is something that people absolutely want at the moment, but also equally a third place. And of course, that third place is the natural amenity of a neighbourhood. And you're really starting to see this in the statistics even though Sydney's going up in value, uh, Sydney, which is really Sydney stuck outside a livability or the live, the pyramid of livability, is not going up as fast as areas which are in this idea of living in this pyramid of livability. And again, I think um, what's so fascinating is Australian houses are being transformed. People are certainly drifting out to space-orientated neighbourhoods and it's that free extra space which is certainly of value at the moment. Either space or location is the great fight of real estate at the moment. And I think when it comes to to real estate, uh, we are seeing value premiums being put on... uh, brand orientated areas and uh, you think about the great brand suburbs of our cities they are tending to uh, skyrocket in value at the moment because again those brands are tending to absolutely attract uh, money and more money creates more money so for us as property investors I'm a big believer in trying to get into those brand neighborhoods and in many other cities around the world uh, people will pay a premium for a brand orientated neighborhood in some respects there are studies where people pay up to 132 percent premium to get into uh, normal brand orientated suburbs and that can be up to 30 percent more growth than the traditional marketplace. When you think about, I guess, the work from home movement, there is a lot of aging dwellings in Australia. And in particular, there are a lot of buildings which were built 
in the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. And in some respects, not all, but many of those dwellings now are really uh, dysfunctional compared to some of the more functional dwellings coming into the marketplace to more or less mirror this idea of this live-work-play dynamic. If you look at uh, some of the best properties which are being produced, they are sleeker, they are more minimal, they're more open plan, they offer you know lots of good little breakout spaces, whether they're in apartments, townhouses, or of course major homes. And of course, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the rental market want these assets more than anything else. Now, again, I think we are also seeing the what I call the hotel of hotelification of real estate. Yes, real estate is now almost not just a single use for people. It is a, a dual use where we are seeing some real estate absolutely be transformed to become a miracle of live, work and play where really buildings are being built in the modern economy to offer just so much more than the older version of real estate dwellings. And I really love this about real estate at the moment. And I think, I guess, when it comes to most people who've never been exposed to actually walking through the hotelification of real estate, uh, they probably have in their mind um, some broad sort of context around their beliefs. For example, there is commonly a belief that um, all apartments are bad. And I would say that is not true. I would say maybe 75 to 80% of apartments are definitely not worth buying. But there's this sort of 10 or 20% of apartments now which are rock stars compared to the rest. And for most people in society, they've probably never ever been in a building which offers private dining, which offers, uh, you know, work from home offices inside the building itself, which offers libraries, which offers um, electric car stations, which offer uh, complementary cars as part of the strata scheme, which offer uh, fundamentally day beds to go sunbake on and beautiful affinity pools to, to, to use. And what I'm finding is when we think about this pyramid of livability, that the idea that we want to buy in this live, work, play marketplace and also have knowledge and wellness, it's almost like we're seeing, particularly in the apartment section, uh, a small amount of supply of wellness buildings. And getting into these wellness buildings is highly valuable for people. The data is coming out where all of a sudden these properties are going up in value because they just fundamentally offer this kind of lifestyle dynamic which you just don't get from the 1965 version of apartment living. Now, I actually think um, when we look at the supply figures of real estate, the most undersupplied stock in the marketplace is actually the hotelification of real estate where there really isn't a lot of great buildings which 
uh, offer this kind of like ultimate lifestyle for people. And for investors, quite often, they just don't uh, ever look at this product because they're not really exposed to it because it really is designed for the owner-occupier marketplace. But getting your hands on it can make you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, I've personally made hundreds of thousands of dollars out of the hotelification of real estate. And I just think it's uh, it's something that, again, from a way we analyze this idea of the pyramid of livability, it is incredible if you can get your hands on this type of real estate. It's not for everybody, but I certainly think that um, the good stuff out there is so undersupplied. And when you can get it, it's almost like absolutely incredible. So to recap on the dwelling movement, obviously, I think, first of all, when we talk about the pyramid of livability, it's as much about getting into the urbanite areas, urbanite just being, you know, close to the CBD where all the coffees and shops are, bars, cafe, that kind of thing. The tree change movement, getting into a suburb in our major cities, which maybe just offers a forest to use or offers a great bushland or national park. And then obviously the third is that idea around sea change being close to the beaches of our cities and all of our cities have really good beaches how close can we get to them that is the big question for property investment then backing into the dwelling movement we've kind of got this hunt for more space which is fantastic Um, if people can buy space they're going to do well into the future Uh, We've got this then hotelification, particularly happening in the townhouse and also housing market, uh, sorry, apartment market. And really it's that undersupply, which I'm so interested in, in the apartment sector. And often when people ask me, should I buy an apartment? I'm like, well, is it a hotelification apartment? Is it apartment which is in the live, work, play uh, marketplace in the pyramid of livability then potentially yes if that's what you can afford in your budget as opposed to fundamentally not buying any behavioral economic logic at all and i think as we are being nudged to these lifestyle communities we're going to see again the return of the great australian fifo the fly-in, fly-out worker. But this time around, uh, they're not necessarily just going to be high-visibility mining workers flying off to a weird mining camp in Darwin. They're actually going to be more corporate-orientated workers. And this is where I'm seeing this kind of alignment as well between the hotelification of real estate and the fact that today um, some people want to choose lifestyle orientated areas and work a couple of days in Sydney and a couple of days and live or put um, their family in a position to have more lifestyle by drifting up to a coastal precinct. So for example, um, you know, today a lot of people are living in Ballina and Byron Bay and of course there's an airport there and there's a airport in the Gold Coast. So it's a pretty good place for people to live and For many of those people now, they FIFO as executives back to Sydney. 
and many of those people are now buying what we call a lockup in Sydney and all Melbourne, same concept, and all Brisbane. And when they uh, come to those cities, they almost like have a pedater where they basically use these kind of like beautiful hotel uh, buildings to to live in a couple of days a week. So um, we are absolutely seeing this kind of dynamic of change where um, smaller areas are, are going to be added to. And again, I think from a property investment point of view, I certainly think uh, regional marketplaces just have a bigger volatility index. When we study them over the long term, the highs and lows are a bit sawtooth, so they go up and down, up and down. So if you can, at a bare minimum, invest in a major city where more jobs are, I would suggest you do that. And if you can get into those lifestyle areas, I would suggest you do that. If you can't get into those lifestyle areas where um, the urbanites live, the tree changes live and the sea changes live, potentially maybe you are actually better off going to a regional version of that if you pay the money for the for that. Don't go to a regional version of that and then, you know, be disconnected from that precinct. You know, around Australia there are around 155 airports and some of these smaller communities are capable of connecting to Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney on any given day. And of course, um, the big ones that uh, are really uh, probably in vogue at the moment are the wellness areas, places like Byron Bay. I was just speaking to my mate, Marcus, who's up in Byron. He lives there. He's a long-term Byron man. Um, And he was explaining that the rental market in Byron is just so out of control now. The middle class is being priced out. School teachers earning, you know, a nice salary, traditionally capable of affording to live in the community there, now being faced with seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a week in rent, are not capable of actually staying in the town and being squeezed out. And this, again, is this uh, more wealthy dynamic taking over the pyramid of livability. And what is fascinating about that from a, um, a pure economics point of view is the income that these properties are now producing. The fact that middle Australia is being priced out of Byron Bay and now you know, an average property there is fetching a $900 a week or $1,000 a week, that's $50,000 per annum. For a property investor who obviously bought there ages ago, that income profile is so amazing. And I think really the Byron story is a great lead, uh, leading indicator for everyone in real estate to take note. If we can get into these pyramid of livability neighbourhoods, we're going to get more income into the future because as we know, more wealthier people are going to drift to these areas. And as society transforms and we end up in a smart economy where people are at the top of the funnel making bucket loads of money, and as we drift down to the bottom of the funnel, people are making 
you know, basically break even money. It's the pyramid of livability, which is where you want your assets. Now, by way of example, what I found fascinating, I was reading the Australian newspaper the other day, and in the Australian, it kind of quoted that the second biggest employer now across Australia is actually Uber. Uh, so when you think about the great Australian companies, we've got the great tech giant Atlassian, we've got our financial system with the great banks, we've got um, our mining companies, uh, BHP, Rio, uh, we've got then our agricultural companies, West Farmers and so forth. Australia really is uh, a land of, uh, fin of finance a land of uh, agriculture and a land of mining. And you would think, uh, for the most part, there would be more job opportunities in that. And for Uber to come out and claim they now are the second biggest employee employer in Australia is just crazy. You are seeing now two worlds unfold, right, where the haves um, are spending $150 a day on Uber having three meals delivered, which is ridiculous. And a big almost like servant class now unfold. And of course, I, I'm a big believer in if we're going to make money out of real estate, we want to build and design and offer real estate to this kind of like more uh, more wealthier class of people. And of course, many of them um, are now sort of what we would call um, upper middle or middle upper middle um, to wealthier and it's it's really amazing to see it unfold. We know the sea change talk is big, right? Literally 0% vacancy rate in coastal precincts connected to our CBDs. And of course, many other coastal precincts, which are smaller regional communities where there is the ability to FIFO. And again, in those smaller regional communities, just going to be really critical that you're actually buying what people are going there for. People are going there for space and for lifestyle. They aren't going there for cheap and cheerful. They are leaving um, urban areas which are shitty and run down to go and buy lifestyle. And so I think um, the big lesson here is we've got to get into this pyramid of livability as fundamentally we're being nudged towards this direction. Now, as I said, I've, I've done a version of this talk at the University of Sydney. Um, and as such, you know, a big conversation piece for me was the idea of mobility. And that movement is something that we need to talk about. Obviously, people often drift to smaller communities so they do not have to deal with movement. In other words, someone uh, who's perhaps, I don't know, drifting into um, Port Macquarie today to, to live there, to get around that city is really, really easy, so you obviously get more of your time back. As we look inside our big CBDs, or big cities rather, obviously there is a movement issue. And it's this movement issue which I find so fascinating. And when you dissect what the future of Australia is, the future of Australia is without question bigger cities. If you look at Melbourne, Melbourne's the largest landmass in Australia. It's a city already the size of London just without the people. And of course, it will become an 8 million person city or even 9 million person city. Sydney the same. Brisbane will double. And... 
I wouldn't underestimate there's some great reasons why they're going to double, and that, of course, is jobs. Melbourne, over the next 10 years, is reported to put on at least another 2.7 million more jobs. Smaller communities where people will FIFO in and out, uh, obviously, don't necessarily have that robust jobs market. So... Right now, obviously, we're going through a little bit of healing when it comes to coronavirus. The borders, no doubt, will be open in a year or two. Um, society will um, try and function under the guise of being vaccinated. And we will once again go into a place where congestion is a thing. And for me, I think one of the, one of the, the most challenging parts of living outside of this idea of living in a pyramid of livability where you can live, work, play, where there's wellness, where there's green spaces, where there's uh, uh, knowledge, is mobility. The idea that today many people have to travel long distances to be part of the economic realm of society. Many people... Um, and when we talk about the work from home movement, obviously we're talking about office workers, but office workers are just a, a, a certain section of industries. What about nurses? What about uh, manufacturing workers, warehouse workers, logistics workers? All these people have to actually get up every day and cannot hang out on their laptop with their feet up. They need to play the game of mobility. And for many people, Mobility is really uh, what we're being nudged to think differently about. In other words, most people do not want to face an hour commuter in the morning, a traffic jam in the afternoon, or even half an hour of traffic just to get out of their suburb, which is built uh, flawed compared to how the town plan works. So... For me, I've always invested in the idea that if you can get into these like behavioural zones inside a city uh, realm, you're going to do very, very well. And again, if we think about uh, the idea of walking, for example, for urbanites, walking is a big driver of property values. It's kind of weird to say because, again, I think we're being nudged in this direction where the urb urbanites uh, are, are certainly, um, you know, uh, a, a, a rising nudge. The leaf and tree changes are a rising nudge. The leaf changes, some great leafy suburban suburbs, you know, 20 kilometres from the city, which are a great place to own real estate. Then you've got this urbanite um, transformation, which has nothing to do with sea or tree change, but it has to do with the idea that people can freely enjoy life by being close to culture. And it's that culture which, again, I'm a big believer in, I'm a big investor in, that many people want to uh, go to the opera in the evening. They want to go to the show. They want to see Jersey Boys. They want to absolutely live this kind of cultural European lifestyle that is only created where there is this level of uh, craziness or density or, or activity. And again, I think um, what will shine through is the idea that 
the cultural world is of significant value as time continues to unfold. There is only so many, so much real estate which bets against the idea of congestion, that there are 4 million cars in Melbourne, 5 million cars in Sydney. All of a sudden, how valuable is real estate if you can walk, right? All of a sudden, you don't even need a car and your life is incredibly good without necessarily being part of the rest of uh, society's dysfunctions. And this is where you're starting to see in many cities, like the idea of Lime scooters. You go to Brisbane now and um, walkable suburbs, which are urban suburbs, now can even connect through this idea of having fun on uh, a stand-up scooter where you basically go um, almost like skiing through the city. And my good friend Melissa Neighbour and I came up with this terminology of city skiing and that you know for many people they literally are stressed their whole year and they spend you know one week at Threbbo skiing to to kind of live this sort of carefree dynamic and we're starting to now see this in the urban world where people are just a little bit more carefree um, enjoying the culture um, rather than getting in a car they're they're literally 50 years old and they're jumping on a on a scooter to to zoom home um, and uh, enjoy this like uh, dynamic and in some respects uh, the idea of walkability or last miling is a great economic dynamic and you know one of the one of the great last mile cities in Australia in my view is Brisbane if you look for example around um, sort of that new farm precinct down to Howard Smith Wharfs, what you've got there is is really a culture created around the idea of walking, that you can uh, walk on the footbridges over the actual Brisbane River. You can connect to lifestyle precincts and you don't necessarily need the idea of a car. And, of course, uh, it really is, one would argue, a European approach in some respects, the Amsterdam approach, if you've ever been to Amsterdam, you know, you quite often realise how functional European cities are around the idea of mobility. There's a lot of cycling going on, a lot of walking, and a lot of urbanite culture, which is absolutely reframing, uh, certainly, how society thinks about movement in uh, European cities. You can go to Malmo, Sweden, and really there is some great test examples of of really carless neighbourhoods. You can go to uh, Madrid in uh, Spain, and and really um, in that city, cars have now been banned uh, closer to the urbanite areas. And of course, banning that movement of 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 cars has created this wealth effect of, again, these urbanite areas. You can go to the Ginza in Tokyo and, again, there's not a car-laden urban area. It is a walkable neighbourhood. And, again, the value proposition of culture in that neighbourhood is just pushing the idea of real estate up. Now, I think we obviously are going through the pandemic at the moment and, of course, 
what normally happens 99 years out of 100 is is not happening this year or or fundamentally happened last year the use of public transport dropped last year the use of public transport is just getting back on track this year one year out of 99 99 years out of 100 though our transport is crowded it is congested and of course it is not so much fun to go long distances using heavy transport like mass trains or, or, or of course, buses. And so there are reports within sort of the next 10 years, our public transport will increase by around 89%. So all of a sudden then we have this idea that if we live in this sort of pyramid of livability where really we can do everything, uh, we just avoid that. And again, this is where uh, economic shifts are, are flying through with the shared economy. Things like Uber, for example, works really well. It's really well designed for the pyramid of livability. That today, if you uh, want to move, like, fuck getting in your car and trying to find a park and all that just grab an uber and if it's a five or ten minute little trip or 15 minute little trip in your pyramid you're fundamentally probably just going to pay the 10 bucks or 12 bucks rather than go through the uh the ordeal of getting in the car then finding a park and then congestion 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 so, of course, these like pyramid of living local is really, really now quite amazing and you're seeing light transport nudges really influence the idea that I'm living in an Uber suburb. If I want to move, I don't need to even think about uh, the idea of transport. I can now just quickly, using my iPhone, um, grab someone to take me somewhere local because of the livability experience of living certainly local. And of course, uh, we are now experiencing a, a new localism and it's what is in that local suburb which is of value. Do you have an you know, awesome butcher, an awesome barista, an awesome deli? Do you have uh, an awesome beach, an awesome urbanite area or a great bushland which is connected to your precinct? Uh, once again, we're just reconnecting with this idea that the pyramid of livability is actually increasingly valuable to people. It's what people now perceive to be uh, where what they aspire to. And I always teach this around real estate. You know, there are sort of four forms of money, inequality money. There is affordability money where people buy real estate because it's fundamentally affordable they go to that area just because that's what they can get. Then there's the aspiration money in the marketplace. And then, of course, the discretionary end of the marketplace. Now, the discretionary end of the marketplace is, you know, they got into that real estate zone 100 years ago. They bought the best parts and they're, it's old money, old wealth. What's up for the battleground for real estate investors is this idea of aspirational money. The aspirational money or people are aspiring to live in these in this sort of pyramid of livability, as I'm alluding to, uh, that if you track the value proposition of these areas, they're extremely, extremely 
um, valuable and will continue to be so. And when you think about how cities are, let's talk about walkable parts of our city. If you think of a city as 100%, really only 1% of our cities, our greater cities, a city like Melbourne or, uh, or Sydney or Brisbane, is walkable. And so, again, what you're betting on as a property investor is that walkability factor is going to be worth something to people into the future as our cities get denser and denser. When you look at how many cities uh, or how many suburbs have the attraction of a urban forest, well, uh, it is very low compared to the 100% of the entire city. It might be less than 2% green space uh, connected to our suburbs. When we look at surf areas connected to our major urban areas or, or sea change or or, or, or areas with water, again, it is a very small percentage. And so the supply and demand metric is very, very different to 95% of what else is out there. 95% of real estate out in the market is an area you need to drive to and fundamentally really does not offer uh, a live, work, play, wellness, mobility and uh and smart in or knowledge environment, right? So there has been studies uh, throughout time on the idea that certain areas just outperform others. When we talk about walkable areas, one of the big things for me is the idea that walkable areas carry a rental premium. Uh, George Washington University did a study on America's 30 most walkable urban areas and found that the rental premium in those areas grows 66% faster than anywhere else. And again, for me, I am big about ending up on cash flow or income. And it's that income profile of waking up and saying, well, I bought a property today, I paid $500,000 for it, and I'm getting $500 a week in rent. How do I get to $1,000 a week in rent? And walkable urbanism is one of the ways which you can absolutely end up in a place where you're going to uh, get higher amounts of cash flow over time. And I certainly found this in the areas I've owned real estate, which are walkable areas, that they fit in the economy really, really well. They fit in both the um, almost like the shared economy through Airbnb for yield creation uh, because obviously walkable areas of ur the urban realm kind of do that Soho effect that you get in London or New York. And of course, um, many travellers, when travel was a thing, used uh, walkable areas as, as places to stay to visit cities, as do the um, FIFO worker or the, the business Bedouin. Uh, quite often it is nice to, to stay in, in uh, areas close by to a CBD, which are more, uh, which are more localised, right? CBDs can be quite cold and windy and boring, really. Um, and then you've got obviously the fact that uh, you've got, you know, people who love living close to culture, who love the idea of walking 
And it's that walkability which just drives that rental return. And I look at my assets in walkable neighborhoods of uh, major cities and I uh, absolutely, the George Washington study is so true. I get a premium rental return when compared to the growth rates of my more uh, drivable uh, assets, which is which is amazing to see real life unfold. Hey, I hope you have enjoyed today's show and cracking the code of the pyramid of livability. I hope you found it interesting. Uh, if you feel like leaving me a review, I would love one. I'm always a whore for a review. feel like um, I get to meet more people and share this content with others. So if you're a fan of the content, uh, leave a review because that helps other people find me and hear about this kind of information. Hopefully you find it a little bit um, interesting and a little bit different potentially to other commentators on the real estate community. Hey, thanks again for your time. I will catch you next time on the next installment of the Urban Property Investor. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.